Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Hundo Presents Web3 Waffles. I'm Scott Ben Fraser, and today I'm joined by Sonia Sadarsan. Uh, Sonia has got a fantastic background in art and design um, and is working on various uh, new tech uh, ventures, uh, one of which is Upworld, but also several other projects that we're very keen to dive into. Um, so without further ado, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. I was um, very excited when Hundo actually reached out to me that, uh, would you like to be in our podcast? I thought, you know, I, sure, of course, like, because I, I'm dying to talk about like the research that I did. <laughs> so thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, no, it's it's, uh, it's our pleasure, definitely. I mean, we'd, we've been following you and seeing the work that you were publishing, and it was a very interest to what we're doing, um, certainly in terms of, you know, online identity and avatars and how how the two can bring together. Um, but we'll definitely dive into that in a minute. It'd be great just, though, for you to just give a quick rundown of, you know, what's been your journey so far into tech, the Metaverse Web3? How did you start and what's been your journey to this point? Well, um, I I started like with I, I had a bachelor of uh, product of uh, art and design, and obviously this was back in two thousand and twelve, and that time I had the opportunity to work with a different startup company, and I started my journey to be honest as like a product design, and being a product designer for almost uh, thirteen years now, about three years ago I was feeling a bit like agitated about like my personal growth to be honest yeah. and so i thought like okay i've been like in design for this long like what's next like what's what's next for me so i started taking like different courses this was actually when i uh, encountered virtual reality and a friend of mine uh from london told me that you know like i think the next things like for ux is virtual reality because today everyone is still doing virtual reality functionally. At some point, then they will go into yeah. UX, 3D UX. So I thought, okay, maybe that's the next thing that I, I should learn. So I started taking a lot of course, actually, online course. Uh, this was one year before the pandemic. Like I started taking online course from uh, Interaction Design Foundation and then from Coursera. Just trying to learn like my own things into the into 3D program like Blender, like Unity. Yeah. And then I bought my first headset, which was like my bank then. It was like Oculus Go. <laughs> uh, obviously, as a designer, like the first thing that I wanted to do was like to um, to design something. And so I start, started designing. Like I went into like different social uh, platforms. Like there was Altspace, there was VRChat. Uh, like a very early platforms of years, and I started building different worlds. And I was doing a lot of like, trial and error, and in this, like, I, I met so many people that time that says that, oh, this is such a nice world, like, how did you do this, how did you do that? It was, but I didn't actually realize that I did that, because I just kind of applied what I learned in product design, like the UX yeah. part of it, like, into this, uh, into this creation, and Probably by then, like people were still building like functionally, and so they they came and they stayed and they were like, I, I want to learn about this. Like so, I thought, okay, I think it might be a good like it was a hobby. It was like it was nothing that I actually wanted to pursue for real by then. It was actually a hobby that I did, 
And so I was like, okay, if people want to learn this, I started a Patreon account. I started a Patreon account and I say, okay, every weekend you guys just pay me like, it's a subscription, like $10. And uh, every week I would give a new material, like class or something in Outspace and we are chat and to talk about this and we can build together. And slowly, slowly we met different people. I started diving into more and in order to teach people, I need to learn from other people too. And yeah. I fell in love with it. And like I was like, mm, this is something that I want to do. And through this Patreon account, I founded a community called Upwolves. With Upwolves is still running until now, but eventually we took out the money from the Patreon and we built a platform, Upwolves. And Upwolves is a, a portfolio for metaverse builders, for people who build the metaverse and then want to do like a creator's economy. Uh, uh, like on the passive income uh, as a cre- as a creator, so our idea is to build like a creator's economy tools. So it's we have this now, and we have the community in Discord. And since then, I've been diving into different uh, subjects within virtual reality to find <laughs> what is it that like the, what would fascinate me the most. So that's kind of like where I am, like. Uh, exploring different stuff. No, it's a very interesting journey that you've taken there. Um, I think what's particularly fascinating and I love about it is that you started from the product design UX angle because I think you're absolutely right. So many of the worlds that are created at the moment, through no fault of anybody's, are created from a functional space perspective rather than necessarily how you interact with it, which makes absolute sense because that's how things are created. Um, as you've been learning the tools, I mean, what are your general thoughts on, you know, the, the UX slash product design of, you know, the, you know, the, the, the metaverse as it is right now? And how do you think that could evolve in the future? I think right now what happened is that when, when we talk about uh, user experience in, uh, for example, like augmented reality, this is something that are more defined because augmented reality probably is yeah. considered more mature, uh, in a comparison of uh, virtual reality. And, um, but when we talk about virtual reality, everything is new. Literally everything is new. Like today in product design, we have a very, we have like even, not even a big company, even a small company would have like a a mature design system that people can literally use. But in virtual reality, no, we don't have this at the moment. We don't have a, a principal design. We don't have a, like, what's the right behavior? How do people interact? Which is a little bit more harder because you need to kind of um, predict the kind of movement that they would do. And I feel that UX for virtual reality would be a combination of a couple of skills. One, obviously, product design, a UX. Yep. And the second one is researcher. But it's not just like a like a product researcher, but this is, I would say, like a like psychologist researcher. And I would say this because I tried, uh, I think I would say one of the more mature, Quest, Oculus, like Oculus is, sorry, they're not Oculus, they're Meta. <laughs> they're very mature right now. But when I yeah. try, um, what is this, HoloLens, when I try HoloLens, HoloLens is, is more mature in terms of like their interactions, yeah. how they actually have built their own design system 
in predicting what people would do. Like, what would people do if they want to bring up a menu? Say they, they invented the yeah. bloom. Like, they do, mm. so you can do that. And then, like, if you want to, like, um, uh, bring up a menu, you, you, you do this. And if you want to, like, skip the menu, you do that. So this kind of interaction is, at the moment, is still being discovered by different people, like by companies, by individuals. But at some point, I think it's good to be able to learn these things now. It's a good time to dive into it right now. Because at some, t- at some moment, this is going to be a very valuable skill, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think now is definitely the time to be starting to get involved in this if you've had an interest in the past, I think. I think because you're absolutely right. If you're if you're effectively if you're a UI designer now, you have a wealth of patterns that you can pull on. If you're a user experience designer, there's a wealth of knowledge that you can draw on from twenty, thirty years worth of research in this space. Um, when you start applying that to the the three D space, you've got game design, but yes. game design is different to VR and AR. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. You're starting to think about what that what that experience of interacting with it actually looks like physically. Um, Because I agree, I think, when I first used HoloLens, that's when I was convinced that there was a place for AR in the real world. Um, (laughs) When it had always been through mobiles, it was like, it's fun, and I get it, but I don't see how it could be a mass market product. I don't see how it could work, you know, but in your day-to-day lives. But then when you use HoloLens, granted, when I first used it, it was big, and it was still only a third of the screen. But after about 10 minutes of using it, I'd totally forgotten I was wearing it. And I had just two or three monitors set up, and you were interacting with it quite comfortably. And I was like, ah, this is how this can work. Mm-hmm. I could imagine yeah. a desk where I don't have computers in front of me. I just have screens here. And I can see uh, this is the way, this will be the way forward when these devices aren't £3,000, but when they're you know, several hundred pounds. You, know, you could see, you could see <laughs> yeah. that direction. So I think, I think you're right. Now is the time to be exploring that and starting to really define those patterns and those places, you know, and that, that ways of working um, in a way that you, you kind of couldn't before. Right now I feel that um, I started using a shape XR a while ago. And uh, yeah. I would say that of all the platforms right now, I, I, I personally like shape XR, well, because I feel that shape yeah. XR could cater both, like whether you're designing for VR or whether you're designing for AR, it's literally like a, one of the tools that allow me, actually as a, as a designer, to do a trial and error. If I want to build yeah. an AR experience, I could do it with Shape XR. If I want to do a VR design system even, I could do it with Shape XR. So it's like, wow. Uh, I, I haven't even like, I, I haven't even stopped like doing my, my thing there, but I, I tested different stuff. But I hope that at some point I have the chance to dive into ShipXR to start like building little, little bit by little bit some design system. Absolutely. As you start building out those design systems, you can see how people would start taking them on board and being able to build on top of them. Um, yeah, are you yes. seeing that? Because you, you've created a community uh, with Upworld. You, you've created that community. You're giving them a platform. Are you starting to see that community I mean, they are the trailblazers. Are they starting to create those type of patterns, those type of learnings? Are, are you seeing that happening on the ground? Yes. Uh, well, for Upwalls, uh, of course, when we start this, all our, all of our builders would be like a, like a new builders because we started this almost about two and a half years ago. And so everyone was in the same learning path, learning level and everything. 
but now because uh, we have taken the route, we have taken the path of like being a portfolio platforms. Uh, a lot of the builders who decided to use the platforms are no more actually like the new builders. They're not acquisition builders, yeah. but they're intermediate, obviously, right? Like they have yeah. had some walls, they have had some uh, at least a little bit of um, experience with it, and so. At the moment, these are the people that comes and use the platforms. But from from this angle, if you see that the more people who becomes intermediate, then that means that a lot more people is starting like from acquisition. We I, yep. I talked to some new platform that are coming into the market today. Uh, one of them is actually a platform called Deep, and they have a it's. It's it's fairly new platforms that but they have like a very interesting um, approach about allowing people to build, but they're focusing their their market to a new buildings like acquisition builders. If you don't know where to build, come to come to deep, and you can build easily. And after this, probably you can go somewhere else or like yeah. So this is their target market. So we were talking about like maybe at some point like you could have like a collaboration because. You are taking care of the acquisition, and of course, is like for intermediate and, and advanced. So we started to see like a lot. It, it's it's evolving right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can see how that would fit in in terms of you know one one part they're bringing them in, and then Upworlds being that place where people can start to connect with each other and actually share their work. Um, another thing you mentioned before that I, I'm definitely keen to dig into more is certainly around the UX side of interacting on these platforms, be it in AR, be it in VR, uh, the psychological impact of actually, uh, the psychology of how you interact between avatars, how you represent yourself online, that entire piece. Um, and I know that's an area you've done a lot of research in. So could you give us a bit of a background on what you've been doing there, what your research has been showing so far? Well, this was actually like my, I mean, as, as I go into building Upworlds, and uh, the background of this research was that I, we were trying to allow people to come in into the, the, the world with a single person experience. And so yeah. we integrated the Ready Player Me avatars into our yeah. worlds to have people to, to do this. And so we started doing this about almost two years ago. And I would say for me that... Uh, their avatars was like the first avatars that I started playing into. So I've used their avatar for a long time. And uh, and I got curious actually somewhere along the way that um, what got me, I forget people, like I, I started with me, like what got me interested the most like with, with their avatar. It was because like I, oh, I could change my clothes, I could take a picture, I could go around the world with their avatars. And so I was like, okay. If I'm interested with this kind of stuff, which means like these are the kind of things that I probably want to, like, I, w I would spend my money on this. Yeah. And because of this, I thought, okay, I'm going to start a research to see about like how we can actually, uh, how do people actually see their avatars and how can, uh, how this can be connected to commerce. And I started like, different research to, to see. I, I put a polling in LinkedIn, uh, in Instagram, in Twitter, in Facebook group, 
to see about like okay how do you see your avatar how do people see your their avatars yeah. and the result was like we we had a uh, when the result came and we synthesized the data and everything i realized that people actually see their avatars like under four persona so the first persona is that they see their avatars as a representation of themselves so yeah. as complete themselves um the second one is that they see it as like a symbiote symbiote is like if, when they actually use their avatar to close the gap like if I like things about my eyes, I want to have them in my avatars. But if I don't like my hair, I'm going to change it a little bit in my avatar. So it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's a better version of me. The third Almost like one, enhanced you. Yes, it's an enhanced you. The third one are people who are actually seeing their avatars as an object. They don't care about how it looks. So they only care about like the functionality. Like as long as it gets the job done, I'm, I'm happy with it. And even if I'm a banana, <laughs> I'm fine with this. <laughs> and then the last one is like as a social other. So social other is like people who use their avatars as like um, just to be part of a community. For example, that I uh, I have a curly hair. And so maybe I'm struggling with my curly hair or something. So being in a community with people the, who has a curly hair would make me feel that I'm part of something that, that yeah. makes me feel better. So... All of people answer falls under this four category, but out of 120 samples that I took, about 60% of them answer, uh, I see my avatars as a representation of me and as a symbiote. So they see it as like, I care about, I want it to be similar like me, but I want it to be a better version of me. With this, I what I draw is like people want something realistic, but not that realistic. I want to be able to enhance this. Like I yeah. want to be able to, um, like personalize it based on my needs. And so based on this, I I continue the research to see okay, like why, uh, like for example, if you use it as a representation of you, what kind of activity that you do with it, or if you're using it as a symbiote. What what is the kind of activity that you go into? And based on that, I found out a little more that people would like to uh, have a better uh, like if, for example, that maybe I cannot go to um, a walk party because probably I'm normal people. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a like a big influencer. But I want to go to a walk party and. Maybe I'm a little yeah. bit shy, but then I use my avatars because it's my avatar, so I can use it for something that I'm not normally use it in the real world. Like I would wear clothes that I wouldn't wear in the real world, but maybe I would use it in my avatars and I could build a new identity or like an enhanced, not even a new identity, an enhanced yeah. identity to be part of something that maybe my real self couldn't be part of. And I thought, okay, so this is actually kind of like where I got my research in. The next phase of this is the uh, what kind of things would they want to, uh, it's like, how can we monetize from this? Because that's actually the, the, the objective of my, my research. How can yep. we connect commerce to avatars? And when I say commerce, it doesn't only mean clothing. 
I mean everything. I mean personalization, skin color, yeah. hair hair type, clothing, uh, height, weight, uh, face type, eyes type. Like all of this is like attributes that people will want to have according to the motivation of why they use the avatars and that they will spend with this. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I think we... We, I guess we, we ran an experiment. Hondo it was a, a, not a deliberate experiment, but we ran an experiment where we got everybody in the team to create a Ready Player Me avatar. And what I found really fascinating was out of a sample of 40 people across the organization, um, everybody's first avatar was like, was number one on your list. It was like a representation of themselves. You know, it was almost like, yeah. I'll create an avatar that looks like me, or at least the Ready Player Me version of me. Then there was a few people that would enhance it. Say, well, it looks like me, but it's a slightly younger version of me, or it's got slightly <laughs> more hair than me, or it's got it's better dressed than me. You know, my version of Ready Player Me Avatar is certainly younger and better dressed than the real me, but it's like it's an enhanced version of me, but it's still me. Um, but then there'd be a few people that just went, actually, I'm just creating something that looks really interesting and cool, and it looks nothing like me, but it's just a representation of what I want in that space. And I think, and it was fascinating to see how people. One, some people are obsessed about trying to make it really just about them, a digital version of themselves. Um, and other people that wanted it to be, it's almost like the objective. It's like, I want it to be in that space and I want it to be cool, but it doesn't necessarily have to be about me. And it was just really interesting to see that kind of split. Um, but it wasn't it's, scientific it's, by any means. But, but yeah, yeah but, but to be honest, like this confirm about like the research that I did, because it's like, um, these are the people who are using avatars like what yeah. are they using avatars for and you can tell like from this colleague of yours like you can you can, you can i'm sure that you can tell oh if you fall under this these are the kind of things that these are the kind of attributes that you probably would want to pay for because you falls under yeah. this this persona and yeah. these are the kind of things that i'm trying to to get to uh i for me I use my avatars as like, so while I was doing this, I was analyzing myself too, obviously. I was like, okay, what am I using my avatars for? And for me, I use my avatar as a symbiote of me. Uh, so it's like, I, I, I feel like I'm a hybrid. <laughs> I'm a hybrid of like, I use it as a representation of me. And I use it as a symbiote of me. And I was like, ah, oh, that's so fascinating. So, like, there are clothes that I might not want to, I not might not, but I, I don't have the confidence to wear it in the real life. But uh, if it's an avatar and I go to, like, some of the world, I would want to wear that because I cannot wear them in the real life because I don't have the confidence for it. And um, about a month ago or something, uh, Ready Player Me actually have, like, a collaboration with Tom Hilfiger. Yeah. And this was very interesting because they were like, okay, claim your uh, digital clothing right now. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I want them. Like, I so want them. So I, I, I literally like went and then I claimed it. And then they have like this uh, experience that says that if you buy this, you can also buy the digital clothes that will be sent to your home immediately. I didn't get it then, but... Like, I've been thinking, to be honest, in my head that it would be nice to, as I'm doing this research and I have a personal interest in this, like, okay, maybe it would be nice for me to purchase this because um, it would 
first of all, it would prove a point to myself, and it would be nice to actually go for a conference that maybe a hybrid conference, wearing that while having the same thing in your avatars. Uh, to be honest, I'm thinking to do this for AWE, but <laughs> I'm still thinking you know, to buy the clothes or not. So I mean, this kind of thing yeah. is like fascinating. Like uh, I'm, I'm trying to talk a lot more to people who would um, tell me, no, you're crazy or like, no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, I think you're probably right. I think there's, there's a lot of people. I I was the same as soon as I saw the Tommy Hill figure, even though I wouldn't necessarily wear those clothes in the real world. Um, I, I straight away wanted it for my avatar. I did the same when there was a collaboration with Vogue and I went and I got there was a Vogue dress. And so I clearly <laughs> would never wear a fancy dress in the real world. I, I would look ridiculous in it. But it was actually fun to do it with the avatar. You know, it was fun to be able to take an avatar in there with this fantastic, glamorous looking dress and just go into spatial and wander around with it um, and get some interesting comments from people. But I'm like, I can do that in this space because it is an avatar and actually you can have some fun with it. And I think once you've got confident with your enhanced self, you can start to say, well, actually, if you start to see it like you can have some fun with it, then actually you can really play around with it and you can really experiment and you can do things that you wouldn't do in the real world because it is a virtual version of you and a virtual version of you can be anything. It's true. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm currently reading into is about um, why do people, not, not why do, but like based on the, based on the current situation, is that uh, would gender really matter within the, within the yeah. metaverse? Like would gender really matter? Because we see like um, a lot of the facts that, a male, like a male person would use a female avatars a lot and a female yeah. would use a male avatars a lot. So I'm trying to like read into this to understand okay, what is the psychology behind this? Like, and would, would gender really like matter? Like if this is actually what, what's happening right now. So let's see where I get into that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fascinating to find out because my gut feel is it probably doesn't, but it, because it is a virtual version of yourself. Now, obviously, at some point, there is a, a conversation that you are a real person behind that. But if you're representing yourself in the metaverse and you're meeting people and you can be anything you want to be, be it male, female, a frog, an alien, a tree, you can literally be anything, then it just starts to open up this conversation in terms of, well, what does identity mean in that space? Because you could create an identity out of literally anything. Um and it takes away some of that almost bias that you get when you meet people because of the assumptions that you make when you first meet them. And that's what I find yeah. quite fascinating about this. This is right. Uh, one of the things that I've read into it up until this point is that the only reason why they chose to be uh, associated with gender is because that it, it gives an immediate... Um, understanding about how to respond to them. For example, yeah. if you know somebody is a man and you're like, okay, maybe this is how I need to respond to this person, like, because I cannot see him in the real life. And so in avatars, like, this is how I have to respond. Oh, or maybe they're female. And yeah. this is the thing that we kind of need to dig deeper to like, okay, but why? Like, uh, does it matter? Or maybe it doesn't matter because even mm. today in any avatars creation, they have this undefined gender anyways. 
it would be yeah. super fascinating to see how many people actually chose that <laughs> instead of like male or female. Actually, companies like Ready Player Me, maybe this is something we'll have to ask them at some point. They must have a lot of fantastic data that says <laughs> these are the types of avatars that, you know, Scott, male, this demographic, this is what he's done versus, you know, the, the general population. It'd be interesting to dig into the data in terms of what avatars people are making, male and female, what outfits they wear. You could actually gain a lot of information. And you were talking before yeah, about monetization as well. The amount of information and data you could get just from understanding what outfits people like to wear, what hairstyles people like, what colors they like, would actually be a, a, an absolute goldmine. Absolutely. We have a couple of things right now. We have Ready Player Me, and then there is a, um, I mean, obviously we have the meta avatars. We have Rec Room avatars. Yeah. They're on their own. And then recently, like, um, I'm based in Barcelona, and so, like, there is a, an avatars company here in Barcelona called Union, Union yeah. Avatars. And so uh, they're going into the same space as well. They're doing the same space. So it would be fascinating to see this at some point. Yeah, it will. It will. Another area we were really interested in at, at Hundo was the when you create an account on our platform, you can create a really play media avatar. And the representing yourself as an avatar was something that we decided very, very early on in the evolution of what we're doing. Um, and we did it because we we had a hypothesis that we could try and help solve some of the bias that you get in the early job market by people who want to be able to yeah. get into work. That if you could represent yourself as a as a as an avatar, then maybe you could remove some of that bias. And we did some. This was a year, two years ago now. Did some did some research and user testing around that. Um, I found that it did certainly it did help reduce some of that bias in that first contact because although mm. you were seeing you were potentially interacting with uh, an avatar. You didn't necessarily know if it was male, female, what the demographic, what the background of that person was. Um, although we did see some bias towards the type of avatar you might have. So the type of avatar, you know, there might be bias inherent in avatars themselves. So, you know, if you were a Ready Player Me avatar versus um, another avatar, maybe, you know, there's a certain team or it feels like you're part of a team or a clan or something like that. So there's almost like the so your fourth aspects when you're joining a social group. It's like you can actually define yourself as a social group, which may also act as a way of sort of separating people. Um, so I think the, the jury's still I, out in terms of that. I, I quite agree with this because that right now um, we are, I, how to say this, like we, I had this conversation with, uh, a friend of mine about a couple of days ago about how people would want to listen to you based on like how you look, how you dress, how you present yourself, things like this. Yeah. And sometimes like I, I went to, an, uh, to, to a presentation the other day, like in Switzerland and I was wearing a, a flip flop and right. I, sh I showed this to my father. And then he was like, did you go to a presentation with a flip flop? I was like, well, apart from the fact my shoes, when missing, but yes, and I did a good presentation. And he was like, but you went with the flip flop. And so I mean, it's understandable coming from my fathers because they come from a different generation that when you say that I'm doing a presentation or I'm going for a job interview, I need to look as professional as possible. But for me, myself, I think like when you say this, it actually reminds me of like, uh, 
avatars could bring that barrier yep. because how you look, how you uh, style yourself have nothing to do with what you can offer to the table. You can look however you want, you can wear whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's about like what you have up here and how you can uh, put a good impact on the table and that's what should matter. And if avatars can help that, it's amazing. Yeah, I think that, you know, that would be absolutely amazing. And that, that example you just said with the flip-flops, of course it doesn't matter whether you're wearing flip-flops or not. You know, you do a fantastic presentation, it's fantastic content. It shouldn't matter in any way, shape or form. And, it, you know, it's all about what you say and the ideas that you're creating and the idea, the inspiration you give to people in that scenario. So, of course, it doesn't matter. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you can do that in the metaverse where or... or AR, where you can give people the opportunity, almost like at the click of a button, to be able to change their appearance to meet, you know, whatever they want to project at that time. Um, I think that's, you know, fantastic. And, you know, going back to your question about or your comment before about how people will pay for this. I think absolutely. If you can pay to be able to almost like supercharge your avatar or give it special powers or, you know, special outfits or whatever it might be. Um, and then in certain situations, be able to ramp them up. So you go and do that presentation and, you know, it can look however you want it to look at that time. Then it becomes phenomenally powerful. Of course. Uh, to be honest, one of the reasons for me, myself, because I see my avatars as a representation of me and as a symbiote, of course. When I saw the, um, like the Tommy Hilfiger clothes, I was like, I want that. Why? Because maybe in the real life, I wouldn't buy them, like, not not like that, not yeah. maybe within the price, maybe, uh, or, or Dior. Like, I, I wouldn't buy jeans in Dior because I cannot afford a jeans in Dior. <laughs> but if I can use them for a, like, as a, for a presentation, like a virtual presentation, I would be like, yeah. maybe it would be nice. And, I mean, let's see, like, how, like, yeah. how avatars can really help into this. You make a very good point there. That, that accessibility is massively different. You know, it's like th there is obviously a barrier towards fashion. There is obviously a barrier towards certain types of clothing based on the price point. Um, and, you know, that making that more accessible so that what would otherwise be a very high price ticket point suddenly becomes lower and lets people get hold of it. That can only be that can only be good for brands because it gets them in more hands. Of, of course, of course, because now I before when you say like would you like to if you want to get a jeans where would you go i wouldn't say dior not in any <laughs> uh, yep. point but when i get the dior's uh clothing i was like well they have a really nice fit and maybe if i have the money at some point i would want to get one of these and get this so it's like it, it it's like a like an experience that they give to our yeah. avatars that eventually, if at some point that we can bridge between like our virtual identity and the real identity, this would be something. Yeah, it would. It would. That, that connection would be incredibly strong. And I just had another question, actually, thinking back to the, 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 four, the four groupings that you identified during your research. Did you see any changes in the behavior towards our avatars or how they use their avatars, depending on which one of those groups they were sat in? Um, it's about how they use them. Uh, it is, right. It's almost like this. Um, the way they see their avatars is, comes from a motivation of yeah. why they're using their avatars. Like, for example, I have things here. Okay. 
for example, if I use my avatar as an object, so for me, what matters is that I just want to get things done. And so yeah. my character attachment to this object or like avatars is nothing. It's like, it doesn't matter. But yeah. when you see it as like a representation of yourself, is for this, you're using this as a social play. You're socializing yeah. with your friends. That's why it's a representation of you. But if you are using it like, if, if you are a symbiote, like your yeah. avatars as like a symbiote, you are using this as a negotiation tools because it's a better version of you because you're testing a new, not a new, an enhanced identity. Like if I yeah. come with this enhanced identity, would people want to maybe negotiate with me more? I'm negotiating my, my identity to have a place probably like in the place that I couldn't ever reach in, in a real life. And based on this, uh, what I noticed is that based on that motivation, people just falls under a certain type of persona and they behave in that way. Yeah. That's how, that's how close they see their avatars with them. One of the things that I, that I learned along the research is that before we could go into the monetization for these two types of persona, we need to build like a character attachment to them. Because when you build the character attachments mm. between you and your avatars, then the monetization happens. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm I'm a gamer. Or I grew up being a big gamer. I don't don't spend as much time doing it now. And I think about the amount of time I would spend effectively living <laughs> my life through the body of a character on screen, um, and you, the the attachment you would get to that character over a period of weeks or months would be quite strong, um, to the point where if they're damaged or injured or get older or whatever it might be, you do feel a sense of like it impacts no, you. Yeah, I'm here, going yeah. to save you because you are me. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you, you are me. You are me. Yeah. And, you know, if that character dies or whatever, it can be quite emotional. You can, you can feel of it. Course, and even though logically course. you know this is a game, but still you're connected to it. Um, so I can see that almost being amplified when you're in the metaverse because actually they are not just you but they are you you know they are literally so are a representation you. of you and so if it's at some point when we build like a character attachment like then the monetization can happen because this is literally you represent this avatar is the representation of you whether it's a in a form of social whether in a form of symbiote or whether in the representation of you you but um uh, I'm diving more into this to to see where is this going. It could be fascinating. Oh, so what's next? In, in, well, what's sort of next for you for the research? Where are you taking it? Well, uh, what's next for me is at the moment. Um, for me, it's like we're we're running apples, right? And so. Yeah. Um, for the avatars, the next thing that I want to find out is about what kind of attributes people would uh, prefer to have. And for the, to be honest, like for the longest time, like I, I started my journey as an XR designer about like three years ago, and I was figuring out, like just like how everyone else, I'm sure, like we were figuring it out together about like 
based on my previous skill, where could my skill fit into this this new industry? And if if not, I have to start over. And um, like I was running around, kind of like running around, trying to test different things yeah. like virtual reality, mixed reality, AR, avatars, digital fashion. Like I was running around to check like where uh, like my skill could fit into. But because I was doing this, I, I feel that I'm today, I'm a generalist. So I have a little bit of like everything. Uh, but when I did this research about the avatars and I did the uh, more and more projects as an XR uh, developers, like, I realized that okay, I I have a like I really like design, and I think in the future I do see myself as like being an XR developer, and yeah. um, if at some point I could apply this research of avatars into it, with the skill that I have right now, like maybe yeah. prototyping an avatars or something like this, it would be fascinating. Let's see where that, my journey takes me. <laughs> that would indeed be fascinating. And I, I think that's that's like the perfect conclusion to this as well. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, we certainly will be interested in seeing where that journey takes you. Um, if anybody wants to check out anything that you've been doing, uh, what's the best way of them to keep in track of what you're up to? LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is where I put all the Papa PP of everything. <laughs> Fantastic. So they can find me in LinkedIn. We'll, we'll be sure to add your links into the show notes. If you do want to catch up on what Sonia's up to, just check out the show notes and you'll be able to follow there. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, absolutely fantastic uh, conversation. Really interested to see where the research takes you. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening in today. <laughs>